Welcome to Ministry by Mail, a weekly sermon publication of the Church of the Lutheran Confession. Our sermon for the fourth Sunday after Epiphany is by Pastor Luke Barenthal of St. Stephen Lutheran Church serving Mountain View in Hayward, California. Our theme is, God has revealed himself in the world and in the word, based on Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God and the revelation of God, dear fellow redeemed. The text for our meditation and application to our daily walk of faith is taken from Romans chapter 1. We'll read verses 13 through 20. The Apostle Paul writing by inspiration to the Christians in Rome and also then, of course, uh, to us, says, I do not want you to be unaware of the fact, brothers, that I have often planned to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. I wanted to have some fruit among you in the same way as I did among the rest of the Gentiles. I have an obligation both to Greeks and non-Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am eager to proclaim the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed by faith, for faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Indeed, God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who try to suppress the truth by unrighteousness. This happens because what can be known about God is evident among them, because God made it evident among them. In fact, his invisible characteristics, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, because they are understood from the things he made. As a result, people are without excuse. These are the words of our Lord. Let us pray. Let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Early in my ministry, I had the privilege of attending and being a speaker at several of our CLC youth conferences. And several of the ones I attended were in Colorado, in a camp called Camp Como, which was high in the mountains. During the first conference I attended there, I and some of the campers went on a hike with one of the people who was a um, caretaker of this, of this camp. They took us on hikes occasionally. And near the end of the hike, we were taken to the top of a hill that overlooked a huge valley. In the distance, you could see some of the impressive Rocky Mountains, a huge mountain range miles away. It was quite the breathtaking view. and not just because we had hiked for about an hour at 10,000 feet. It was breathtaking in the sense of, it was amazing, it looked, it looked great. And our trail guide had us look at this view, and he asked the young people who were there with us in that group, he asked this question, he said, when you look at this view, what does it tell you about God? And the students in our group thought about the question for a minute and gave some pretty observant answers. They said things like, Well, he's powerful, he's wise, he's creative, he's artistic. Taking in that view and considering the immense and impressive 
creation of God staring at these humongous mountains did give you a sense of God's impressiveness. But it also made you feel quite small. Made you feel pretty insignificant standing there on this hill overlooking these gigantic mountains. And yet, as our guide reminded us then, he followed up their answers with this. He said, God didn't make the mountains the crown jewel of his creation. He didn't choose to reveal himself to the mountains either. And he didn't send his son to die for the mountains. He sent Jesus to die for you. I can't speak for the rest of the people in uh, that trail group, but when I heard that word and remembered that truth and was reminded of that, it took away that feeling of smallness and insignificance and instead filled me with a sense of gratitude. A sense of appreciation, not just for the power and majesty of God, but also for his grace, the power of his deep love for us, for me. Our text for today reminded me of moments like that on the top of that Colorado hill because it speaks of the ways that God has revealed himself to mankind. We're currently in a season of the church that speaks about revealing. We're in the epiphany season. That is a word that means to reveal or to show or to make manifest. And so during the epiphany season, we look at a number of the ways in which God reveals himself to us through Jesus. And the ways that Jesus then revealed himself to us as God. That afternoon, uh, during that hike on the Colorado hilltop, was a good illustration of the ways that God has revealed himself to us. Because even though the trail guide asked the question, what can you know about God by looking at this incredible view? He could have just as easily asked this question. What does this view not tell you about God? You see, God has revealed himself to mankind, to human beings, in two very important ways. First of all, he's revealed himself to us in the world. We call that the natural knowledge of God. What we can know about God through what he has created, through what he's made. He's also revealed himself to us through the word. We call that the revealed knowledge of God what we can know about God from what he has told us about himself in his word, in the Bible. So many people in our day, and throughout history as well, have questioned the very existence of God. Or they simply plainly don't believe there is a God altogether. The Bible very bluntly says this about these kinds of people. In Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Why does the Bible say that? Why does the Bible say that when these people who say there is no God, many of them are actually very intelligent? Because as Paul says in the last, verses of our, last verse of our text, he says people are without excuse. They're without excuse because God has revealed himself to us. He has revealed himself. You'll notice as you read through your Bible that the Bible doesn't try to make any scientific arguments to prove the existence of God. The Bible simply starts by saying, in the beginning, God. 
It simply says he's there. He says, it says he exists. God's word very clearly and plainly says he has always been there. And the proof of his existence, so to speak, is there in his creation itself. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament reminds us of what all people should know just by simple common sense. He says in Hebrews 3.4, For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. I like that verse from Hebrews because it reminds us that when we walk through our neighborhoods, we don't observe the houses and think, well, those houses just popped up there or those houses just appeared there somehow by chance. No, we know they had a builder. You might even look at the home and say, oh, I wonder who built that or I wonder who designed that beautiful home. Why then would we walk through this ultra-complex, extremely ordered and orderly world and assume that it just came about all on its own. The Apostle Paul once explained to some very intelligent men in Athens one of the reasons God did reveal himself to mankind through his creation. And one of the big reasons was so that they would seek him and that they would find him. In that sermon, Paul said this, he said, and he, God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. In our text for today, Paul reminds us that God has revealed himself to each person in creation in two very distinct ways. In verse 19 he says, What can be known about God is evident among them because God made it evident among them. In that one verse we see two more synonyms of epiphany. They're both derived from the same Greek word. What can be known about God is evident among them. A word that literally means visible or clearly seen. And God made it evident, a word that literally means revealed or made known. Where does Paul say God made this epiphany, this revelation about himself known? Well, if we translate that verse a little more literally, it would say this. God has made it plain in them or within them. That is, inside of us inside each person. We call that revelation of God inside of us our conscience. The voice that tells you when you've done something right or when you've done something wrong. In the very next chapter of Romans, Paul speaks of this proof for God's existence that is embedded in the heart of each one of us. He says that even the unbelieving heathen show the work of the law written in their hearts. He goes on to say, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So one way God reveals himself to all people in the, the natural world is through our conscience, something that's inside of us. But the second way God reveals himself 
to each person in creation is, again, through the created world itself. And Paul says in verse 20 of our text, in fact, his invisible characteristics, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world because they are understood from the things he made. As a result, people are without excuse. What can we understand about God through the visible things that he has made? Paul says we can understand two things. His power, his eternal power, and his divine nature. Or as the New King James puts it, his Godhead. In other words, we can understand not just his divine power or his eternal power, but also the fact that he is God and that he exists. So God has revealed himself inside each person through their conscience, and he has made himself, as Paul says, clearly seen through the things that are made. So then Paul says they are without excuse. He goes on to say in the verses that follow this sermon text, in verses 21 and 22, because even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him as God. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their, senses, their senseless heart was darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they have become fools. And so Paul says, no one has a good excuse for not at the very least knowing that the eternal almighty God exists. However, let's go back to that hilltop in Colorado and let's ask that other question as we look at God's magnificent creation. Yes, we can see his eternal power. We can see his Godhead. We can see the fact that he exists in the Purple Mountain's majesty or other incredible views of creation. But what does this view of creation not tell you about God? You could stare and contemplate the most beautiful nature scene you've ever seen in all creation, and you would never come to know some of the most important and essential things about God. And so we need more than just our conscience. We need more than just creation to tell us about our creator. We need more than just nature to tell us about our savior. Creation and conscience will never reveal to us the fact that God loves us. Creation and conscience will never reveal to us by nature who Jesus is. In fact, if you could just go out in nature and look in creation or, or use your conscience, you would never know that God even had a son. You would not know who Jesus is just by looking at creation. That must re be revealed to us Again, that word epiphany, through his word. That's why if you hear people make excuses for not coming to hear God's word and say things like, well, I can find God when I spend time in nature. Or I find God best in Sunday morning on the golf course. Well, they're actually missing out on the most important things God has to say to them. Even we as Christians sometimes wander about looking for God, don't we? 
We can complain that we just don't know what God wants us to do with our lives. We might even ask him for, for help, ask him for guidance and direction. When we do so, when we pray that prayer or ask God for those things, where do we then turn for answers? We often turn to other people. We search our own feelings. We search our own thoughts. We examine our own life situation, and we often look for God in them. All the while neglecting the very words that God has spoken to us. And yes, God can and many times does lead us and direct us through other people, through circumstances in our lives. But the fact is, God's word is where he clearly and directly speaks to us. God's word is the truth. On the other hand, people can be wrong. Our thoughts and our feelings can change. And we have to remember that because we are fallen, sinful people, our thoughts and feelings cannot always be trusted. Life circumstances, of course, can also be misinterpreted. The only place we can truly and personally get to know God, know his will, and know what he has done for us through Jesus is in his word. So yes, Paul reminds us in creation we see his eternal power, but Paul also reminds us in this text that God's power, his greatest power, is shown to us in the gospel. The good news of the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection. In verse 16 of our text, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That word for power in the Greek is the word dynamis. It's where we get the English word for dynamite. God's word is the power, the dynamite of creation. His word is the power, the dynamite for our salvation. Paul goes on to say in the next verse, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed by faith for faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. In the gospel alone, we find that our salvation is not dependent on our own works, but on Christ's. In the gospel alone do we find that heaven is not earned by us, but it's given to us by God's grace in Jesus. In the gospel alone do we find that it is by God's gift of faith alone from beginning to end that he declares us to be righteous in his sight. Just as it is written, the just will live by faith. Now the other thing that we can't learn about God from looking at the world, from looking at his creation, is his anger over sin. Now that's certainly not good news. We can't know the good news of the gospel without God's word. We also can't know the bad news about our sin without looking at the word also. And Paul points to this in verse 18 of our text. He says, Indeed, God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who try to suppress the truth by unrighteousness. 
who is sounding this message today? Who is warning the people of our society and our generation that God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of people? Who's sounding that alarm? Who's sounding the alarm that because of our sins, we are born in this world lost? We are headed in the wrong direction. We are headed for condemnation, eternal destruction, hell itself. Where are the modern-day John the Baptist telling people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Are you one of the people sounding the alarm? Are you one of the people revealing this warning from God to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors? I'll remind you that the world around us is not sounding this alarm. The mantra of our world and society is the wishful thinking that if we just be good and do good, in the end we will get good. <laughs> Things will turn out good. That is a nice thought. It's a pleasant thought. It's kind of what we come up with by our own nature, right? But it is not the truth. And unfortunately, many churches in our modern era have either chosen to abandon or completely ignore these warnings of God's word. The wrath of God over sin. And sin becomes sort of the S word, the forbidden word to say in church, in their preaching and teaching. The problem with that is, if we don't fully know the wrath of God against sin, we can never fully know the grace of God toward us. To put it another way, if we don't know what we're saved from, why would we even care what we're saved for? We are full of that soul-condemning sin and godliness, godlessness and wickedness that God's wrath burns against, that the scriptures warn against. Yet because of his grace in Christ Jesus, we are not going to burn. Because of Jesus, we are not going to face God's wrath. We're not going to face his condemnation. Now, I didn't tell you about the most interesting thing about that hill we were standing on that summer afternoon in the, at the youth conference in Colorado. The hill we were standing on, the, the camp actually calls Little Calvary. Because on the top of that hill, they had constructed three crosses to symbolize, of course, Calvary, where Jesus was crucified with two other thieves. Mount Calvary, in fact. So that hill, Little Calvary, was a reminder that the mountain on which Jesus was crucified was actually much greater and more majestic, even though it was probably much lower as far as altitude goes and not as pretty of a view. If you know anything about Mount Calvary near Jerusalem, it was actually overlooking the town dump. It was, in fact, though, much greater a mountain, not because of its visuals or its picturesque nature, but because of what happened there. So yes, God's creation shows his eternal power and divine majesty. But on that mountain, on Mount Calvary, we are shown God's wrath over sin. He took it out and punished his own son, Jesus, with death and hell on that cross. On that mountain, Mount Calvary, we are also shown the power of God's love for us and for all people. 
That punishment we see taken out on Jesus in the darkness and the blackness of that cross on Good Friday, that was meant for us. We deserve that punishment. But instead we are given God's forgiveness, his love, and eternal life because of Jesus' death. So yes, God has revealed himself in the world, in his creation. He has revealed himself to us in the word, in Jesus. The word made flesh. The word who dwelled among us in the world. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Seek and find God there. Amen. And that peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. This has been a publication of the Church of the Lutheran Confessions Ministry by Mail. Visit clclutheran.org for more information. For print copies of this or other sermons, please visit lutheransermons.org.